I think one of the things that I like the best out of, uh, in parenting, especially parenting kids in a life of faith, one of the things that I like the best is listening to my kids pray. Um, and anybody who's a parent who's prayed with their kids knows exactly what I'm talking about because you, you spend this time praying with your kids and just listening to their prayers, you get kind of like this unique little window into their soul. You get to see the world through their eyeballs in a really unique and, and vulnerable kind of way. The other day I was praying with my oldest girl, Arlie, and Arlie's eight. And I said to Arlie, it was bedtime. I said, who do you want to pray for? And, and she said, I want to pray for grandpa and grandma. And now you have to understand, um, grandma is my dad's second wife. My dad, after my mom died, my dad married Betty in 2010. So Betty's been a part of our family for five years, basically. And uh, Arlie's only eight. So Betty has been a part of our life for more than half of Arlie's life. Uh, she's the only grandma that Arlie's ever known. And yet she says, I want to pray for grandpa and grandma. I said, okay, you pray for grandpa and grandma. She says, dear Jesus, she says, thank you for grandpa. She says, I'm so happy that grandpa is a part of our family. I'm so glad that he's a part of my life. And I pray that you would give grandpa a happy life with this stranger that he's married. <laughs> stranger that he's married. Well, Betty, there you go. Welcome to our family. Five years in, apparently you're still kind of on the outside a little bit. <laughs> it's just like, how do you, what goes on inside there? I, um, when we say grace at mealtimes, uh, we don't often do the recited prayers as a family for reasons I'll repent of in just a little while. But um, we always just kind of encourage the kids to pray. And so I ask at the table, you know, so who wants to say grace for the meal? And the first hand in the air is usually my youngest daughter, Briley, puts up her hand. Oh, I want to say grace. Okay, Briley, you say grace. She's four. And so she'll fold her hands and she'll close her eyes and she'll say, dear Jesus, I don't know what to say. And that's kind of the end. <laughs> and I like that prayer. Because I get to see inside of her soul, but what I get to see is a little bit of my soul. Because I feel like that a lot. When I pray, dear Jesus, I don't know what to say. And that's, uh, for us, a bit of a problem because we're in this Only God series that we've subtitled Four Point Turn. And we're talking about a single verse out of the book of 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 14, where it says, if my people, actually, why don't you read this with me? Because we're all trying to learn this verse. This is one thing we're doing in this series. We're going to learn this verse together. So I want everyone to read this verse with me. You ready? If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now I want us to try this one more time because I genuinely, I want us to internalize this verse. I want us to learn it and to carry it in our soul because we believe in the premise of this series is that in this verse, God identifies four things that we need to do if we're gonna live um, Godwardly oriented lives, especially if we've wandered off the path. If we wanna experience the forgiveness of God and the healing of God, then the, there are four things in this verse that we wanna really focus on. And so I want us to say this verse with, together again. I'm going to put it back on the screen, but this time some words are going to be missing. So I want us to begin to learn it. So read this again with me. Here you go. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's what this series is about. It's about the four things that God is inviting us to do in order to experience his forgiveness and healing our lives. And the first point of the turn is what Jeff Martins walked us through last week is the idea if my people will humble themselves. If we can finally get to a place where we root out this pride that sits in our spirit where we think that everything has to be about me and everything has to revolve around me and everything has to be for me and everything has to go my way. That, that life doesn't radiate I and me. Life is supposed to radiate God and others. If we can kind of get away from this pride and into a life of humility then that's the first step in experiencing the forgiveness and healing of God in our lives, is humbling ourselves in the presence of God. And as it turns out, if you read the verse, that the first litmus test of humility turns out to be prayer. You can ask the question this way, because pride is basically all about, you know, it's all about me and I basically do everything for myself and we got to root that out. And the, what Jeff talked about last week was living with the awareness that we desperately need God every moment of every day. And so the prayer question, if prayer is the litmus test of humility, you could put the question this way. Do you pray as though you desperately need God every moment of every day? And if you've been around a life of faith at all, your probably heart just sank and your shoulders just slumped a little bit and in your spirit, you probably said no. So I think most of us believe that we don't pray the way we wish we would pray. We don't pray as though we desperately need God every moment of every day. Um, see, we come, however or whenever you come to faith, most of us clue in pretty quickly that there are things you're supposed to do in faith. You're supposed to tend some things and you're supposed to uh, read some things and you're supposed to give and you're supposed to serve and you're supposed to pray, but nobody ever tells us how to do these things, right? This is why we're having conversations each Sunday about how to attend a service. Nobody ever tells us how to do these things. And so you just kind of muddle through and you try and model yourself after the people around you and you make it up a bit as you go along. But what this produces in our prayer life is a prayer life that comes in fits and starts and it's incredibly inconsistent. And most of the time it's not really pumping. And when it does, it's kind of boring uh, for us. And we, we fill the, our, the prayer space of our life most of the time with this feeling of guilt that we don't pray the way we should and maybe even this feeling of shame that we're a bad person and a bad Christian because we don't pray better than we do. At least if you're anything like me. That's been your experience. And the problem is that we need a better way to pray, I think. See, some of us don't pray because it genuinely is a pride issue. It's not a prayer issue, it's a pride issue. We genuinely believe that what we're supposed to do is solve all of our problems ourselves, that we're supposed to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. We've bought into the lie of North American pragmatism that says all you have to do is work a little harder, exert yourself a little bit more. If you believe it, you can achieve it, and we just try to be better Christians. And that's not a prayer issue, that's a pride issue. You don't pray because you think you're supposed to do it by yourself, and you're not. But for many of us, it's not a pride issue, it's a prayer issue. We know that we desperately need God every moment of every day. We just don't know how to pray like we do. 
And so we give each other this word of advice for prayer. Well, just talk to God. Just say whatever's in your heart. Except that turns out to be, advice that I've given from the stage, turns out to be the worst possible advice for praying. At least it can't be the main substance of what it means to pray. It's not how Jesus prayed. It's not how Jesus taught the church to pray. And I don't think it's the fundamental philosophy of how Jesus wants us to pray. I believe when I read 2 Chronicles 7 that if if my people would pray, God is inviting us back to a kind of prayer that that is the way Jesus prayed and the way Jesus taught the church to pray. And if we can learn a better way to pray, I think it can absolutely transform our life in prayer, which is to transform our relationship with God. If we learn to pray the way Jesus prayed. You see, Jesus was a Jew. And the Jews had two fundamental commitments to prayer that we need to relearn, is my contention. The first fundamental commitment that the Jews had in prayer was that there were specific times in every day when you were supposed to stop whatever you were doing to pray. The Jews prayed at set times every day. I'll read Psalm 55 for you just as an example. It says, as for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Listen to this. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. The psalmist says, I cry out to God, evening, morning, noon. Now, he starts with evening, because in a Jewish mindset, uh, the day begins at 6 p.m. That's the beginning of the day. So the first prayer is the evening prayer, and the morning prayer, and the noon prayer. For us, our day begins when the sun comes up. So we'd say morning, afternoon, evening. The Jews committed to three times of prayer every single day, every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. That's how the Jews prayed. They would stop everything at the hour of prayer. They would interrupt whatever they were doing, and they would pause to pray. Chris and I got a a, a bit of a flavor of this a year and a half ago when we were traveling in Turkey, in Istanbul. And Istanbul is a city that is filled with mosques. I was saying to somebody this week, you can throw a stone at a mosque, I wouldn't advise it, but you could throw a stone at a mosque and it would ricochet off the mosque and hit another mosque. There are more mosques in Istanbul than there are Starbucks in any city anywhere in North America. It is an amazing thing to see. And one of those mosques was right across the street from our hotel room and every mosque has these tall minarets and every minaret has a loudspeaker on it and every loudspeaker five times a day has a a man named an Adhan who sings out a call to prayer. Starting at five o'clock in the morning, every morning when we were in Istanbul, five o'clock in the morning, he started singing in Arabic. He'd say, Allah is great. There is no God but Allah. Muhammad is his prophet. And then he would sing this in Arabic. We didn't understand it, but this is what what he was singing. Hurry to prayer. Hurry to salvation. Prayer is better than sleep. Allah is great. There is no God but Allah. And Muslims five times a day were called to drop whatever they were doing and pray. Now, Turkey is a pretty secularized nation. and We didn't see that many people pausing to pray. But in the more, more fundamental nations, that's what happens five times a day. And the Muslims didn't invent that. In the seventh century, they inherited that from the Jews and more specifically from the church. 
The Jews had this commitment to pray three times a day, and that's exactly the way Jesus taught the church to pray. Acts chapter 2 is the story of the early church and is a snapshot of the kinds of things that were core and central to the life of the church. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to being together in community, to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now that turns out to be a horrendous translation of the Greek. If I say to you, you know, devote yourself to prayer, you probably feel a little bit guilty and you're like, yeah, I really should. I should devote myself to prayer. I should pray more than I should. Or whatever. But that's actually not what the verse says. The verse doesn't say they devoted themselves to prayer. It says they devoted themselves to the prayers. If I say to you, you should devote yourself to the prayers, your response is going to be different. You're going to say, which prayers? The prayers that happen at set times every day, at morning, in the afternoon, and the evening. That's what the early church did. Acts chapter 3, the very next chapter, it says Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 p.m. They had heard the call to prayer. They dropped everything, and they went to the temple to pray. Acts chapter 10 says Peter was on the roof of his friend's house at noon praying, and God showed him this vision that changed his life. He was praying his midday prayer when he got this vision from God. It was exactly how the early church was taught to pray. It's exactly how Jesus as a Jew was taught to pray. And I think it is something that is worth it for us to recover in the way that we pray. To learn to pray at the set hours every morning, every afternoon, every evening to drop everything we're doing and stop to pray. Now, of course, they prayed at other times too. Jesus prayed all night sometimes. Jesus prayed early in the morning. He prayed before a big decision. He prayed at his crucifixion. The church prayed all the time. In fact, eventually the apostle Paul says, just pray without stopping. Just pray all the time. And the set prayers become a habit of ongoing prayer. But in the Jewish and the early church mentality, the backbone, the spine of a skeleton of the life of prayer, the spine were the set hours of prayer every morning, afternoon, and evening when they would drop everything to pray. That was the first commitment that shaped Jesus' prayer life. The second commitment is this. It wasn't just set times. It was set prayers. Right? They devoted themselves to the prayers. Which prayers? Well, the prayers that they had been given in the scriptures. You see, when the Jews stopped to pray three times a day, this wasn't like a one-hour prayer session, a two-hour prayer safari where your stream of consciousness just takes you wherever it is that you want to wander off. This wasn't Bible study time. You weren't getting out commentaries and studying a passage of Scripture. This wasn't even devotional quiet time where you're reflecting on your own spiritual condition three times a day. This was five to ten minutes of reciting the prayers that had been prescribed for you at that time. And many of the prayers were often the same. So the first thing a Jew would pray during the set times of prayer is they would pray one or more of the Psalms. The Psalms, those 150 chapters right in the middle of your Bible, that's the Jewish prayer book. 150 prayers to choose from. Pray any single one of these. That's what they would do. They would recite uh, the Psalms in their time of prayer. They would pray those psalms as their own prayers. The second thing they would pray is a prayer called the Shema. It's the Greek word or the Hebrew word that means to hear because the Shema prayer starts like this. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God is the only true God. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all your strength. I pray that prayer at least two times a day. In fact, the rabbis would say, whoever doesn't pray that prayer at least two times a day is probably going to hell. That was kind of the rabbinic tradition because this, this confession that Yahweh our God is the one true God, that was the core of the Jewish confession of faith. That was their creed and their core commitment in spirituality was to love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. That's what the Jewish religion was all about. And so keep praying it every day to build into your spirit the essence of the Jewish religion. So they would pray a psalm and they would pray the Shema. And then some scholars believe they would pray the Ten Commandments to remind themselves of the person that God had called them to be. And then, finally, they would pray a prayer called Hatefilah, which just means the prayer. And it was the, a prescribed prayer that every Jewish man, because the men generally did the praying, and patriarchy and all that, uh, every Jewish man was to pray three times a day. 18 specific requests that you recited before God every single day. That was the prayer life that they paused three times a day to execute. Morning, afternoon, evening, to pray a psalm, to pray the Shema, to recite the Ten Commandments, and to pray Chatefila, this this set prayer that everybody was supposed to pray. That's what they did. That's what the core, the backbone of their prayer life looked like. And you, and you, you prayed these specific prayers because they together formed the essence and the core of Jewish spirituality. You were three times a day stopping everything you were doing to fill your soul, to remind yourself again of the core, the essence of what it meant to love God as a Jew. And so Jesus, as a Jew, takes these prayer practices and he teaches them to the early church, not just to pray three times a day, but he takes these prayers and he adopts them and then adapts them for the church. Jesus uh, would have prayed the Psalms at least three times a day in synagogue, in the temple, in his home, wherever Jews were praying, they were praying the Psalms. Jesus would have made a lifestyle of praying the prayers that were written in the Psalms. And you know this, even though it doesn't say that he was ever doing it, you know this because Jesus' whole speech is filled with the Psalms. Jesus quotes the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. Ten times, ten different Psalms he quotes on eight different occasions that are recorded. Who knows how much more than that? Never mind allusions to the songs where he doesn't quote it, he just sort of hints at it. But Jesus, clearly, that was infectious because in the rest of the writings of the New Testament, the Psalms are quoted more than any other Old Testament book, 79 times. And there are more than 330 allusions to the Psalms in the writings of the New Testament. Why? Because the Psalms formed the ethos. It formed the air that the early church breathed through their life of prayer. So they prayed the Psalms, they prayed the Shema, but Jesus, I think, taught the church to pray it a little differently. In Mark chapter 12, someone asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He says this, the most important commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, he adds, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment 
greater than these. Jesus says the, the central thing in a life with, in relationship with God is the Shema, is this prayer that we pray at least two times a day, but he says there's something else you can't forget, and that is not just to love God, but to love your neighbor. And all the rest of the New Testament is just filled with repetitions of this command to love your neighbor in a way that where it becomes shorthand for, the, for this whole thing, for loving God and loving your neighbor together. As though Jesus had fused these two ideas together that were never really fused in Judaism. Jesus fused them together and then instilled them in the church. And the way I think Jesus would have instilled them in the church was by telling them to pray this prayer two or three times a day to build into this spirit the idea that the center of their faith is to love God and to love people. And then thirdly, uh, Jesus dumps hatefillah, this prayer that the Jewish uh, men prayed. He just dumps that all together and he replaces it with one that he comes up with himself. In Luke 11, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, and I'm going to quote it myself from the, or translate it myself from the Greek. He said, whenever you pray, recite this. And then he says, our father who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name and on and on. Jesus says, I want you to get this. This is a command from Jesus. Whenever you pray, every time you pray, recite the Lord's prayer. That is a command from Jesus in response to the question, teach us to pray. I believe that Jesus taught the early church to pray three times a day, every morning, every afternoon, and every evening. And when they paused to pray for five to 10 minutes in each of those times, he taught them to pray out of the Psalms. He taught them to pray the Lord's Prayer. And he taught them to pray his version of the Jewish creed. You'd call it the Jesus Creed, the love God, love your neighbor prayer. That was the prayer rhythm of the early church. It wasn't just say whatever you want to God. There's a space for that because the Jews prayed for other things. Jesus prayed before he picked his disciples. Jesus uh, prayed for healing for people. The church prayed for boldness. The church prayed for safety for their friends in prison. Like Paul tells in every one of his letters, he tells the churches how I'm praying for you. There is a space for praying for whatever God has put on your heart, of course. But the backbone that forms the core rhythm of prayer is this filling of your spirit regularly with the core and the essence of what it means to be a faithful father follower of Jesus, which is to pray at set times, the set prayers that have been handed to us by the scriptures. And I fundamentally committed, I am learning this myself and I'm committed and convicted that we as a church need to learn how to pray this way. To pray set times every day. You know why set times? It's a way of reclaiming your schedule and giving your time back to God. Right? Everybody's schedule is driven by something. If I were to look at your calendar, I could tell you what your life is driven by. Right? Some of us, our life is driven by the punch clock, by work and production and economics and earning money. That's what drives our life. For some of us, our life is driven by household, by errands and chores and meals and the stuff that needs to happen so that our family life can function. Some of our lives are driven by the frantic family racing from hockey to dance and back again. 
Um, all of our lives are driven by something that becomes the organizing principle around which we schedule everything else. How are we going to get everything done given that the kids have hockey here and dance here and piano lessons and school and so on, right? It becomes the organizing principle. But when you commit to set hours of prayer, what you're saying is the organizing principle of my life is going to be my time with God. And everything else will fit in around that. Like this is a mentality that's changed inside of me. I no longer ask the question of whether I'll pray today. I don't ask the question of when I'll pray today. The question I ask is whether I'll be able to get everything done that I need to get done before my next time of prayer. It is the time of prayer that becomes the priority. And you try and, it's not how will I fit God into this crazy busy life. It is how will I fit my crazy busy life around my time for God. It prioritizes that. So that three times a day, I'm giving my heart back to God and taking it away from all the stuff that competes for my affection in the world. Three times a day, I'm giving my eyes and my ears back to God and to listening to his voice to drown out all the other voices that are competing for my attention. Three times a day, I'm giving my hands back to God to remember that my fundamental tasks are to love God and to love people so that his kingdom can come as I go about the physical tasks that I have to accomplish in the day. It's about reclaiming your schedule, reclaiming your time, and giving your life back to God instead of allowing it to be stolen by work or family needs or, or whatever. There's a, I think we need to reclaim what it means to pray the set prayers, to learn to pray other people's words. This is not something that I grew up with. Um, in fact, we grew up believing that if you prayed a written prayer, something that somebody else had written, somebody else's words, you pray somebody else's words, and that's just dead, empty religion. That's formalism and ritual. There's no heart behind it. It's just going through the motions. What you need to do is be honest and authentic from God and pray sincerely what's in your heart. That's real prayer. I've come to believe <coughs> that that is an incredibly arrogant thing to say. I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. Away from prayer, just think about worship. Imagine somebody saying, I can't enter into the presence of God in worship if I didn't write the song and I didn't write the tune and I didn't write the lyrics. I can't be honest and authentic and sincere about praying or singing somebody else's words and somebody else's tune. I will only worship God with songs that I write myself. What would we say to somebody like that? Number one, we'd say, you're arrogant to think that only you could write the songs that could help you enter into the presence of God with your whole heart. That is sheer arrogance. Secondly, that's sheer stupidity. Of course you can. Of course you can sing somebody else's words and somebody else's tune and have it move in your heart and be a sincere expression of what you authentically feel in the pit of your stomach. Of course you can. Number three, we would say, that is a recipe for some bad worship. That is just bad worship. How much do you, what are the odds that making up your own words and your own tune, you could come up with a better worship song to get you into the presence of God in honest love and authentic sincerity, that you could write a better worship song than the ones we've already sung this morning? I'll give you a hint, it's zero. 
Of course, of course, using somebody else's prayers can be an honest and authentic expression of what's in your heart and sincerely invite you into a relationship with God. Because you know what happens? Praying somebody else's prayers are how you learn to pray. That's why when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, okay, recite this. Because it's in reciting this that you learn how to pray. That's how that works. So you recite the Psalms or you recite the Lord's Prayer and what you do is you all of a sudden get struck, first of all, by things you never thought of to pray. I would have never prayed for this if it wasn't written in this prayer. Oh, I'm learning how to pray. You get a perspective on God and on yourself and on life and on the world that isn't native to you. When only you pray is what comes out of your own heart, the only thing you can pray is stuff you already know. You can never grow in prayer. But when you pray somebody else's prayer and they help you see life in yourself and God from a different vantage point, all of a sudden you're growing and you're being stretched and you're changed. You pray somebody else's prayer and all of a sudden you're finding that their words are capturing something that's sitting in your heart that you didn't even know was there. There are times when I'm praying one of the Psalms and all of a sudden my heart will just inflate and I'll think, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I was feeling that until the psalmist said it. Or conversely, you're praying through one of the Psalms and the psalmist is giving words to something that you feel but you didn't know how to say to God. I had a friend who's been stabbed in the back by his best friend recently. And I said to him, why don't you pray Psalm 55? And he came back to me and he said, oh my goodness. He said, how did the psalmist know exactly how I feel? I think we need to learn to pray at set times and with set liturgies. And so I want to challenge us to do that this week. Look at your calendar for this week and every single day decide when am I going to pray in the morning and in the afternoon and the evening. It can be with meal times, breakfast, lunch, and dinner is pretty easy. It can be at natural moments when I wake up, you know, around middle of the day or break time. And uh, when I go to bed, um, if your life is really flexible, you can set an alarm on your phone and it'll go off three times a day and you just drop whatever you're doing and pray. You think about commuting times. You can think about waiting for bus times. Just look at your calendar and say, when in the morning, every day, when in the afternoon, every day, when in the evening, every day, can I stop my life for 10 minutes to pray? And just carve out that time. And then commit to praying what we've talked about, the Psalms, the Lord's Prayer, the Jesus Creed, and to pray. Pray for the stuff that is in your heart. So I'll I'll lay it out like this. First thing you do, you open up to the Psalms and you pray a Psalm. Doesn't even really matter which one. You could pick one at random or you could start at Psalm 1. And on day one, you pray Psalm 1, 2, 3. The next day, 4, 5, 6. Just work your way through it. It doesn't matter. Pick a Psalm. So you're going to need a Bible or a Bible app or something with you. Pick a Psalm and read it slowly and prayerfully and reflectively. Read it as though this was your prayer to God or read it as though... This was something someone was praying over you or read it as though these are the words that God is speaking into your life. It, you know, whatever mode feels most appropriate. It takes some getting used to, but you can do it. Read it out loud. So it doesn't just sit in your head, but it goes into your ears because when it goes into your ears, it sinks deeper into your spirit. And sit and read the psalm as a prayer. Now I'm going to tell you weird things are going to, you're going to come across some weird stuff. Psalm is saying, God, kill my enemies. Um, it's okay to, to pray, to feel, God, I wish you would just kill my enemies. 
That's an okay thing to feel. See, the ironic thing is we say we won't pray set prayers because we want to be honest and authentic. I don't know anybody that's so, that is as honest before God as the psalmist. That says, you know what, God, you know what I feel right now? I wish you would just kill them. They're making my life hell, and I wish you'd kill them. That's an okay thing to pray. At the same time, it's not an okay thing to want. So what you have to remember is that the New Testament says, People aren't the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The devil is the enemy. The forces of evil that are victimizing people and creating them to do evil things or compelling them to do evil, that's the real enemy. And it's okay to pray for God to destroy that enemy. There are times when you pray for Zion or Jerusalem or the temple. And it's weird because we don't live in Jerusalem and we don't go to the temple. But it's just about praying about being in the presence of God. There are times when you'll pray about Israel. Well, just pray about the church. It's the people of God. There are times when you'll pray for the king. We don't have a king, except Jesus is our king. Pray for Jesus and his kingdom as you read the psalm. You have to kind of do some of that translating work, but you get the hang of it after a while. So you pray a psalm meditatively, slowly, prayerfully, and then spend a minute or two in silence, Giving the psalm space to fill your spirit. Giving God space to speak into your heart. Giving, just creating space for the prayer to settle into your soul. That's the first thing that you do at the set hours. You, you recite or you read a psalm and then you sit in silence. And then once you've done just a minute or two in silence, then just pray to God, whatever's on your heart. Whatever you think you need to pray for, just pray it to God. Just say whatever you're feeling. You can coordinate it. Sometimes in the morning, I like to pray for my day. And at noon, I pray for the people around me. And in the evening, I pray for my family. And if I pray a fourth time before I go to bed, it would be more of a confession thing. Or it can be completely random. Whatever you're feeling in the moment, whatever you know needs prayer, just pray. That's your space. Just pray for as much or as little as you want. Just pray for the stuff you know you need to lift up to God. That's the second thing. So the psalm, read, reflect in silence. The second thing is just pray, lift up to God. And then thirdly, recite the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Creed. Finish off by reciting the prayer that Jesus actually commanded us to pray every time we pray. Because it's the perfect model of prayer. About a year ago, we did a series called The Prayer Revolution. If you want to dig into the Lord's Prayer and what it means, just go back and find those sermons on the website. Um, And then pray the Jesus Creed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. As a way of asking God, would you make me this kind of person? Would you fill my spirit with the desire and the heart to become someone who loves you with everything I have and loves everybody else as much as I love myself? This is the rhythm. This is the life. This is what I think it could look like for us to become people, as it says in Chronicles, if my people would pray. And it doesn't have to be that rigid. If you have a practice, sub out one of those times of prayer for what you already do. Juggle it up, add a worship song, like make it yours. But make that the core of your prayer life. The set times, morning, afternoon, evening. The set prayers, the Psalms, the intercessions, the Lord's Prayer, the Jesus Creed. And let's learn how to pray the way Jesus taught his church to pray. That God would forgive our sins and heal our land. I want to give us a chance to do that right now. Someone in your location is coming to the stage right now and they're going to guide us through this experience, the one we've just talked about. We're going to guide us through right now and we're going to get to experience what it is we're inviting you into this week. And I seriously challenge you, 
Make this a priority for this week and see whether God doesn't do something in you and around you through this commitment to pray. Let's pray together in all of our locations.